Hello, I'm Jeff Johnston, your host of the Living Undeterred podcast. Um, I'm excited, beyond excited, to have a special guest today. Um, the Living Undeterred podcast idea came from some personal experiences that I have dealt with the last four years, and quite honestly, my whole life. And I found a way to become resilient. I found a way to um, not just uh, survive a chaotic event, but also thrive. Um, and from that, I have met some really heroic people, and Brian is one of them. And I met Brian on social media and sent him out a... There's a funny story about Brian I wanted to throw out there first. When I first met Brian on LinkedIn, um, and this is the type of person he is, the first thing he did was says, Jeff, I love your story, but here's someone you have to go talk to. And he referred me to Nancy Barrows. And I reached out to Nancy, and Nancy was a guest on the podcast and did a super job. And then you called me like an hour later and said, hey, Jeff, I looked at some stuff you're doing, and I just want to say you look really good for all the stuff you went through. And I'm thinking, who, who does this? Who, who, who refers me to somebody before I even know them? And then who calls me and compliments me on that somehow I looked healthier than I did you know, three or four years ago? And that's, that's, that's you, Brian Wall, always looking out for other people. And I thought that was a amazing testimonial to the type of person you are, that I reach out to you to interview you for my show and you refer me to somebody else right out of the bat. So <laughs> tell me tell me a little bit about Brian, why you think I, I drug you on the show and maybe a little bit of bit, background about you. And then I want to navigate into some, some things that I have um, discovered on, on some of your um, social media posts that I want to kind of uh, further clarify with you and get, get your opinion on some things. But again... Welcome to the Living Undeterred Podcast. We got a lot of time. We have a lot of topics, and I'm honored to have you here. So with that, here's Brian Wall. <laughs> <laughs> Good to see you, man. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Um, yeah, so why am I on the show? Um, are there any hints? <laughs> no, this is all spontaneous. No From this point on, we're making up stuff. <laughs> so I share with you what I think, and then you go, yeah, that's not it at all, Brian. Let me tell you why exactly you're here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I, I think we just connected right off uh, from minute one we spoke, and you've got history with your son um, and loss and addiction and your own um, addictions yourself, and so that that spoke to me. It's what I do. It's what I get, and um, so I think on that level, we connected really well, and it's more of a Honestly, it's you know I go on some shows because there's uh, there's the cr paths cross a bit with with topic of conversation or interest and and then there's some I go on that that happens and I really feel a connection with the person and you're kind of like a brother sort of vibe mm -hmm. for me like you know like from minute one we talked I just felt a connection with you and you make sense to me and you're just real people super successful in your professional life and you would never know some of the successes that you've had that I've read about you're just Jeff, you know, and it's that really appeals to me. So, um, I think it's us just feeding into good energy and letting, you know, the gods, universe, Lord, what, however you want, you know, do what they want with it in hopes that it's paying forward some wisdom and support to other folks. So, yeah, I'm amazed when I hear people on social media or, or talk about all the terrible things that are going on in the world. And I'm like, yeah, that's not the world I'm in. I, I'm I'm hooking up with positive people every freaking day. Yeah, and yeah. I'm not around negative people in my personal life and in my social media life. And I, I guess if you look hard enough, you can find misery anywhere. Um, yeah. You could be the fortunate person. You could be the most fortunate person in the world. You could have hit the birth lottery. You could be successful financially, good health. But if you want to look close enough in your life, you can find 
issues and problems and negative things. And sure. that's one thing I will give social media credit for is that um, I've been able to form my, you know, my bubble of just people like you. I mean, how could I hang out with you all day and walk out of that being angry and upset and a bitter person? You know, it's not, it's <laughs> not possible. That's, it's not possible. That's cool, man. I appreciate that. That's very cool. It's true though. Like I've, I've had the same experience on LinkedIn and just had an, a phenomenal opportunity to create this amazing tribe you included from people all over the world. And it just blows my mind how, how powerful the mind is and what mindset, what that ties into and what we do with it and how much control we have of it. And, and I choose to fill my uh, Instagram feed with positive pages that are constantly feeding back into my energy so that I can pay that forward to others. So same experience on my end. You know, Brian, one thing I thought when I first looked at your LinkedIn profile and I always get a kick when, Someone says they viewed your profile. I'm like, oh no! <laughs> what, what, know. what are they? What are, what are they not going to like about me? Yeah, what are they not? Background not, check. <laughs> don't don't go back too far to my college days, and I'll be safe. Um, exactly. But no. So I noticed you say behavioral health, and I thought, wow, that's really cool because I'm in the investment business. I own a wealth management firm. So I built it up since I was 23. It's called Premier Investments of Iowa, and as of late, there's a big industry push towards what's called behavioral finance. And actually, there's an individual in my book that I talk about, Dr. Daniel Crosby, who's kind of the industry expert in my, my, my arena on mm-hmm. behavioral finance. The, the relationships people have with money, the decisions people make with money, anywhere from gambling to you know, over-compulsive uh, issues with purchasing things, buying things. Hoarding money is a behavioral finance issue. People that become rich, old, miserable people, they've done great job saving money, but they have no idea how to enjoy it. And then I saw behavioral health and I thought, wow, there's got to be an overlap there with behavioral finance and behavioral health. And I think there's a there's a very common um, marriage or bridge between the behavioral finance world that I live in every day and the behavioral health world that you live in every day. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. I think one of the things that has been so wonderful about the pandemic is it's pushing us back as a culture to humanize life. Absolutely. You know, it's no longer so much about products. I mean, branding and all that is even about establishing an experience, a, a, a journey, a mission, a vision that they can join. It's not buying a product anymore. It's buying an experience, you know? And and so because of the pandemic, it's really forced us into a position of um, humanizing things, even to the point where we're, you know, awareness and mental health, behavioral health, addiction, mm-hmm. all that is bringing out the fact that we're human first. And so that makes perfect sense to me because when it boils down to it, money is not, it doesn't, it doesn't operate in a bubble, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's motivated, it's influenced, it's um, driven by behaviors, by right. feelings of the individual that has possession of that money. So that sounds like a really wise uh, crossover in my eyes. <laughs> so tell my listeners what, what you do on a given day. What's, a, what's an average day in the behavioral health and clinical business objectives world? <laughs> I'm curious yeah. on... What you do each day? Who, who, what type of people do you, do you talk to? Yeah, so I'm in actually in transition right now. I'm still in Michigan, going to be heading down to Florida next week. My family's moving to Florida, South Florida, and I'll be uh, joining Lucida Treatment Center. They're under the Promises Behavioral Health umbrella and um, be joining them as their clinical director. And so things will look a little different down there. Um, still don't know the specifics about that. Generally, I do of the the clinical director role. However. Um, more to tease out as far as what is Lucida, what, what the need is as far as the team, the community and stuff. And we'll figure that out when we get down. But 
Um, actually just had my last day of my previous job yesterday. So mm-hmm. uh, my I was working with a colleague that I had uh, worked with ongoing for about five years. She was the she is the clinical director and assistant superintendent of a, a juvenile transition center, detention center, criminal justice um, side of the world, and and she wanted to establish a residential treatment facility, uh, a treatment program, and so asked me to come in and help design that program with her. And so I've been doing that for the last two and a half years, and then. Um, so served as a clinical consultant for them on that program, as well as the um, juvenile family counselor, I think is the role they called it. Um, and, and that really is just establishing that basic role that is going to service those clients that are in the residential program. So I served in that role and, and um, a typical day included me going in and, and seeing the, uh, the residents, uh, the inmates, however you want to put it, and mm-hmm. giving them individual counseling. We had family counseling. I did groups on various topics. And, uh, you know, just working with families to get these these kids reunited and get them um, through this chapter of their life that seems like the end of the world, but it's Mm -hmm. just that, a chapter, and helping them to see that and to uh, thrive off of the strengths and and wisdom gained and understand where the weaknesses are and where adjustments need to be made, generally speaking. And and I know quite a bit about your background, but why don't you um, tell us a little bit about how how sports kind of... um, kind of mirror life in general and going back to your days as a competitive swimmer and apparently you just missed Olympic trials by a few milliseconds it sounds like so you were a heck of a swimmer but and that also though introduced you to some of the addiction issues that you had um, being being in that that arena as well so can you can you comment a little bit about how sports and life kind of go hand in hand I know my world golf was what was the glue that kept me alive during the death of our son yeah, so that's a huge topic. Um, mm-hmm. There's so many aspects. So give me a minute here to, to unpack it. So for me, I started swimming when I was about seven competitively and did for 15 plus years. And that led to me getting a scholarship at a Division One school and um, riding out three years uh, under scholarship with those folks until my, my addiction got the best of me and I couldn't manage it all and lost my scholarship and had to head, to, head back home. But... <clears throat> How it goes hand in hand is, um, you know, with behavioral health addiction, that oftentimes is a hindrance and a fallback to deal with the stresses of being an athlete. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is that you, for me, I should say, when I swam under scholarship, it was very, uh, very much pressure based. And uh, I had a lot of performance anxiety related to that. And that that anxiety, the mental health, the behavioral health piece, you know, that led to me finding the balance. And that was the addiction for me in the moment. The early stages of addiction really helped, I felt, me to manage that anxiety in the moment. However, it was it was uh, uh, slowly creating more um, of a mound of mess that I would care to deal with now that I look back. But. That kind of led to exasperating a lot of the anxiety and and stress that I had when I wasn't using. So then I used more to handle not only performance anxiety, but what I created by using to handle the performance anxiety when I wasn't performing. So then it just becomes across the board, you're constantly um, using in order to function on a daily basis. But for me... Dealing with that stress, that anxiety in real time, whether I had substances or not, knowing that I had to be on the block at a certain time for a certain event and a certain expectation, a certain outcome was expected. That um, 
that taught me a lot of internal control, a lot of stress management techniques, mm-hmm. uh, a lot about uh, developing a support network to get me through those tough times when I was so overwhelmed. I just I didn't want to come out of the locker room, you know, just uh, just the the internal um, battle was just too big to to manage. And I think that with uh, you know, if you want to pick apart sports in general, we can we can go with football. Great. Yeah great model of life in a lot of ways and that you know there's even four quarters in a football game well there's four seasons in a year all these things cross over not because somebody was super imaginative but because they were just going with what was working right hey we have four seasons let's do four quarters you know probably that conversation happened right and so you've got the quarterback that runs the show and you've got folks on you know you've got your receivers flanked on the outside those are the the hell mary passes to to get the, the, the pass done. And you've got the running back that makes the small gains every day in your life. And then you've got the defense that creates obstacles for you to overcome on a daily basis. And your, your offensive line is kind of your support network to get you mm-hmm. moving down the field. And so I, in that aspect, I can see how sports is very closely related to managing all that is life. And it's a great model to, to us of how to do that. That's, that's an interesting way to um, <coughs> compare, compare the two that way. Um, you know, one aspect of um, kind of a learned behavioral condition that I was going to throw at you because I recently had a guest on and he was a huge advocate of this term in regards to uh, choices and consequences <clears throat> as opposed to, you know, may- maybe the disease approach when it comes to addiction. And anyway, he uses the term codependency a lot. And he talks about codependency being kind of the root of all evil when it comes to addictions and and mental health and things like that. And so I, you know, I kind of know what that word means. So I actually looked it up and codependencies for those people that don't know, excessive emotional or psychological reliance on a partner, typically one who requires support on account of an illness or addiction. And, you know, I guess I didn't think of codependency in those terms. Um, I thought it probably more in a relationship uh, type uh, um, correlation there Mm -hmm. or a husband, a wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, or, or whatever it is. Um, they're codependent on each other, sure. um, you know, or, you know, any, anything as trivial maybe as with, with your relationship with your pets, you know, there's a codependency there, mm-hmm. but I never thought of it in regards to illness and addiction. So, and then I learned that it's a learned behavior that you're not born necessarily. I mean, you obviously are with, when you're born with your, with your parents, but in regards to other types of relationships, you're not. So how do you view it as a learned behavior, Brian? And if it is a learned behavior, what can we learn from the fact that it's a learned behavior so we can manipulate it and, and maybe have it form one of our coping mechanism strengths? You know, how, how can this benefit, how can this knowledge benefit us? I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So as it relates to codependency and probably why you haven't heard codependency related so closely to addiction is because in addiction, we call it an enabler, right? Mm, so mm. same concept, yeah, different exactly. term. So see, you're probably like, oh yeah, I've heard of enabler, but it's the same sort of concept. And it's really crazy because you've got two people that are relying on each other to make the next decision. And so because uh, feelings are are ever changing and largely unreliable in most situations, you know, to to make decisions off of that can be dangerous. So while I'm waiting for this ever-changing person to make a decision so I know what direction to go, this person is relying on me who's ever changing to make a decision so they can make a decision so I'll know what decision they're going to make. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So it's yeah. just a constant uh, a stalemate and and it ends up 
really being largely led on emotion, and, and that can be very dangerous, especially when it's split second to split second. Um, and it can create a lot of dysfunction, and that's exactly what codependency does. But um, <clears throat> as it relates to the learned um, or genetic side of things, you know, that's a common topic of conversation in my field. And I think they really go hand in hand. I, I think it's really interesting how oftentimes when we talk about things like this, everyone's looking for a black and white. Well, is right. it this or this? Right. Life is just not that simple, right? right. And, and I, I believe that we exist more in the gray area than we do um, any other area across the spectrum on a daily basis. Yep. So, you know, with addiction, I believe it goes hand in hand. I think some are genetically geared toward addiction. And so that's in the, in the mix. And then you got things that happen to you, right? Uh, so learned experiences, uh, influences, triggers, uh, trauma, whatever it may be happens in life. And, and our brain is constantly looking for that balance to, to find that rut in the road it can follow. And so, um, addiction oftentimes is something we can control in that midst of dysfunction so that we mm -hmm. feel like we're creating the rut that's needed and that gives us some comfort where in reality um we're not creating one rut at all we're creating multiple ruts that don't don't go to the same path right so that's a lot of where that 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 dysfunction and that struggle um comes into play but i think that what we can learn from that is that um, we're all gifted in different ways, man. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm, we, we have, you know, you can't just typically take a wide receiver and put him at a running back. Right. They're two different builds, two different games, right? So if I put the wide receiver at the, the running back, he's got to know, well, I'm 6'2". Well, most running backs are like 5'9", five 5'8", five right? Slow, mm -hmm. uh, uh, low to the ground, very powerful, low center of gravity. How does he make up for that being 6'2"? That's a question he's going to have to answer because he's not going to mm -hmm. be as effective, right? So just like uh, everything else, we're all, we're all gifted with certain strengths and we all have certain needs. So recognizing what those are and and playing those off of each other so that we can find balance on a daily basis that's really key um i'm geared toward addiction so i have to be mindful of that and i've got to make yeah. adjustments on a daily basis so i manage it well i just think that's um a great way to to uh, kind of answer the question uh nature versus nurture i i used to get when i went down this you know journey that i'm on this living undeterred mindset i call it um I felt compelled, Brian, to take positions, you know, nature, nurture. I have to like, I have to like, you know, argue one or support one, uh, disease choice. You know, I came in guns a blazing on that. Cause as a, as a past, uh, consumer of alcohol, I'd never call myself an alcoholic cause I don't believe in that label. Um, but as a past consumer of alcohol that just chooses not to drink today, right at this moment, um, I, I look back at, um, the simple fact that I could quit. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I just I just decided when my son died, it was more important for me to honor him than drink. It was just to me, it was yeah. very simple. I didn't I didn't I'm not that smart, Brian. I didn't complicate things with all these meetings and books and tapes. And I just said, you know what? I, every time I see alcohol, I see Seth's face. That's all I need. And I think all right, of us right. have that trigger. I think all of us has a we have a positive trigger that we can we can embed in our brain somehow, whether it's through meditation, holistic needs, as you mentioned on one of your one of your topics that I was reading about. And I'm just compelled to try to figure out why someone like me, who was a, by definition, a full-blown functioning alcoholic, could simply just decide one day to quit. I don't keep score. I don't post on social media how many days I've stopped because I don't really care. I'm not living in the past. I, I'm, I just know I'm not, not going to drink today. That's all I know. Yeah. And for me, it worked. And so what I've decided on, Brian, is I've kind of gravitated. You know what? 
I'm I'm going to say it's nature and nurture. It's disease and choice. And that's pretty much what you just said. But I think we spend far too much time arguing, you know, left and right and, you know, God and no God and, and disease and choice. And it's yeah. like, I think you hit the nail on the head, Brian. Nothing is black and white. It's all gray. Right. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, you know, you bring God into the mix. Well, my God's not black and white either. That's Old Testament. He's a God of grace and a God of forgiveness and mercy and all that good stuff. And that, to me, is the gray area. So even mm-hmm. the God I serve that created everything, in my mind, for me, in my, my belief system, mm-hmm. um, he's not even black and white. So why am I always looking for the black and He didn't even create things with a black and white, uh, black and white mindset. So therefore, to take that approach doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, I was... Uh, you know, you were talking about um, uh, nature and nurture, and I think that for me, uh, one of the big things is that with nature and nurture, it's one or the other. Um, so we're going to have to edit some of this because I'm losing my thought here. Oh, that's fine. Um, that's fine. That you were talking about nature and nurture. Um, <laughs> kind of comparing it to disease and choice. Oh, here we out. go. Okay. Yeah. So I found out. For me and those clients that I work with, it all really boils down to one thing. So you got something going on in your life. It's dysfunctional. You know it. Everybody knows it. This is not a mystery. You're not an idiot, right? The, the question is, do I make a change in one direction or the other to absorb or avoid this dysfunction? Mm-hmm. That is the question. What do I want to mm-hmm. do with it? It's there. Mm-hmm. Do I want to continue with it or do I want to change it? And the, right. the point of decision-making happens when the payoff or, or the pain outweighs the payoff. So typically addicts, if I can use that word just for uh, simplification, um, right. I don't believe in labels either, but those that right. struggle with substance use, when they get to a point where the pain outweighs the payoff, that typically is a place where they're going to make a decision and they're going to stick to it because... Is that is that um, rock bottom? I think that's a common phrase that we use to describe it. I think it's different for everybody. Uh, right. My rock bottom for... You know, Jimi Hendrix is probably not similar, but but either way, and, yeah. so, and you know, the basic levels of what we were struggling with, probably there's some similarities there, you know, and and but I, I think ultimately the pain has got to outweigh the payoff before a real decision is, is made. Otherwise, we're just kind of toying back and forth um, on one side of the fence and the other of what exactly we want to do to maintain balance, thinking that we still have control to do that. Oh, I'll just cut back and oh, right. I won't use that anymore. You know, that, right. that, that conversation arises. Uh, but ultimately, you know, that pain, once that pain outweighs the payoff, that's when I found that breaking, that threshold happens. It, it shows up and it's like, okay, it's decision time. We got to do something here. And that's when big decisions are made and followed long-term. I, I like that when, when uh, the pain outweighs the payoff. Um, I kind of look at that as... And I mentioned this in almost every podcast that when Viktor Frankl wrote Man's Search for Meaning, he said, pain is my opportunity, um, or I'm sorry, suffering is my opportunity. And I kind of reframe that in my own life as pain is unavoidable, but suffering is a choice. So yeah. I was going to ask you this question, and you kind of led into it perfect. Um, how about suffering? I mean, we as a, as a, as a race seem to get really um, hung up on suffering and we tend to let it linger and stay with us for a long time even when the event itself is you know obviously my son's been gone almost four years and there is an element of suffering but the pain isn't there as much as it was and the suffering Mm -hmm. is more negotiable i mean i can 
I can um, trick myself to keep suffering very short and intense. So what's your thoughts on suffering? How, could, how, how does Brian Wall help somebody who comes in and says, hey, Brian, I, I, you know, I, just, I can't get past the suffering, the self-torture, the, the living in the past. I mean, what, what do you say to someone out there that's, that you're trying to help that's trying to get past this? Or maybe, maybe that's not the objective. Maybe we just want to absorb it into our life and not really get past it. Yeah, good question. For me, it boils down to <clears throat> what are your goals for the future? And is what you're doing now hmm. going to get you on a path of achieving, achieving those goals? That's it, plain and simple. Yeah. Yeah. So if suffering on a daily basis for whatever happened 10 years ago, if that's helping you achieve your goals, then I would be in support of that. If it's not helping you reach your goals, then that's something hmm. we need to look at. You know, I find, for me, this is a big statement, but for me, I've found a lot of times when I linger with things that happened in the past, it's mm -hmm. directly related to my ego. It's a, it's a pride thing. For some reason, I'm hanging on to that because I should have had better control and what could I have done different? And, um, you know, there, there's some sort of reflection on my identity and that's why I've, I've got to resolve that in the past and it's unresolvable because it's gone. So therefore you sit and we call that suffering, right? You just sit and you, you, um, you ruminate on it and, and you just marinate in it for eternity. And, and that's not productive on any level. Uh, you, you, you gather the, the lessons learned and you reflect on that and you move forward a stronger, wiser person. That's part of life. And I don't believe suffering is avoidable um, in the moment. I think long term, you, you right. work through those things like you, like you mentioned. Yeah, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I think pain is unavoidable, but the suffering is, is you know, is really, really up to you. It's your choice. You can choose to. Right. I think there is an author of a book called Chosen Suffering. Uh, it's written by, I think, uh, a wrestling coach, possibly at Ohio State. I'm trying to remember because I did tag it one time, but I lost it. But I think he wrote it on the concept that, you know, I, I embrace I embrace that. And in a way, I think about it sometimes myself, Brian. I I know depression exists. If there's anyone yeah. that if there's anyone that's earned the right to be depressed, I know we mm -hmm. all have as humans. And I, my story is not better or worse. It's just unique to me. You know, I, I've earned the right to be depressed. But I can honestly tell you, Brian, I've never been depressed. I've never, never been depressed. Now, I've had in depressive moments. I've had billions of depressive moments. Right. But I've tricked, my, I've tricked my brain to simply not believe in depression. And so I'm not going to create the narrative and go online and say, I'm depressed today. I'm, you know, maybe I'm just naive. Maybe I'm just really not that smart that I, uh, I play that many games with the three or four people in my brain, you know, that are arguing every day is the right. dumb one. The dumb one wins every time. And, you know, I'll take that all day to my grave. If the dumb one can win and keep me from drinking and doing drugs and lying Absolutely. and stealing and cheating and all that frick, I'll be yeah. dumb forever, man. I don't care. But so I, I get frustrated when I see people online. I love vulnerability. You and I, Nancy, so many great people I've interviewed are vulnerable. But I get frustrated when people um, start talking about things that I think they probably could develop ways to confront a little more efficiently. And yeah. med meditation for me, Brian, has been awesome. And I don't, know, I don't know if you meditate or what your thoughts are, but this is a long-winded segue into coping mechanisms. That's where I was going with this. Okay. Um, what are some of Brian Wall's coping mechanisms? I mean, how, do you, how do you deal with pain and suffering and depression and all these things that seem to just resonate within us? Yeah, I um so moving back a bit, I wanted to mention, all right, so if you break your leg, um, 
you have to have that casted. You have to have it reset in a way so that healing takes place. If you don't do that, then that broken leg will be a hindrance to you in the future in movement, athletics, whatever. Um, whenever someone is suffering, I oftentimes see that as uh, unhealed wounds, mm. right? So I like there's, some, there's some healing that still needs to take place, and it hasn't. So we need to get back in the OR and do some work. We need to reset some things. We need to get some things in casts. We need to make sure that the, the, the limb is forming in the way that we want it to form. So I, I relate that back to um, when folks uh, enter my office and, and want help with, with these sorts of things. You know, that suffering oftentimes is a reflection of some unhealed wounds. And um, it just makes good sense if you've gone through something to allow yourself to um, you'd go see a doctor if you broke your leg. Well, then go see someone that specializes in mm -hmm. what you're struggling with so that you can start mm -hmm. that healing process so that later on that leg will be of good use to you when you're kicking around the soccer ball with your kid in the front yard, right? So all yeah. of it kind of links together as, as far as, um, uh, and that's part of coping too, just getting good supports in place and folks that you trust in order to guide and lead you through uh, dysfunction and crazy chaos that happens in life that's inevitable uh, on earth. You know, we're, we're people first, so... Um, otherwise I do a lot, uh, I like to work out. Um, I do a lot yeah. of reading. I do a lot of mindless, uh, not a lot, but I, I like to have the TV on. Sometimes I'm sitting here and I'm, I have the TV on and I'm staring at the screen and I have no idea what I'm watching. I'm just processing what happened throughout the day, but it's a great background noise for me to do that. And so reflection is really big for me, uh, working out, being outside, um, you know, and I think generally speaking, it's it's a matter of finding what works for you. You know, whatever that is, recreate the world if you have to. Whatever gets it done for you. But ultimately, it's all hinting toward be conscious, be be present with yourself, be conscious of what you're going through on a daily basis. And when that balances off, okay, what's going on right now? Um, you know, when we started um, this podcast, it's like last night was. Um, had some things going on. So I'm a little scatterbrained today and I'm aware yeah. of that. So yeah. um, I I thought, gosh, should I not have this conversation with Jeff? I want to make sure I'm present. And so I did some meditation of my own before we met in order to get refocused. And, I did too. And so I was just mindful. Yeah, man, it's just mindful. Yep. Like, hey, Brian, you're off your game a little bit today. That's okay. I'm human. Life happens, yeah, I, right? I, it got me thinking about last Saturday, uh, the shout out Saturday. And um, you were on that as, as a guest. Yeah. Um, and I'll be honest with you, when, I, when it was my turn to do my little deal, I, I lost it. Um, and I'm, I was quite embarrassed. Um, I was humbled. But I couldn't talk because I started crying. And, you know, after that was over, I, I, shut, I shut all my stuff off for three days. I, I, I didn't, um, I, I unplugged my computer, I did, I, my phone, I got off every... I just needed to step away. It was so intense spotlight on me, Brian, that I, not that I can't handle that, but I had, I just kind of held in so many things. And here was, you know, Brian Shulman saying, you know, all right, Jeff, the stage is yours. And all of a sudden I started talking about Seth and I just, I felt like a big baby and I started yeah. crying. I couldn't look at the screen. I was, I was ashamed. And after it was over, I, I unplugged everything, shut everything down, and I disappeared for three days. And I wasn't, you know, I hope people didn't think I was like, you know, falling off the deep end. But I, I just needed to step <laughs> away from my vulnerable yeah. uh, public life that I've created. And, and I, I don't have any regrets in telling stories, but 
it's just that Saturday hit me hard, man. I can't explain it. And I reached out to uh, Stephen Grant, who's the dad who lost his only two sons to overdoses. And he's become a good wow. friend of mine. Yeah, I reached out to him and he's he's the guy that kind of keeps, I peer over the ledge, but he's the one that pulls me back. And, um, you know, we all need that. And I wasn't prepared. I cry every day. I just, I, I wasn't prepared to lose at that moment. But yeah. I got to thinking of a quote I wrote down here. I just want to read this real quick and get your thoughts on it. Yeah. But I had to, I had to reread it many times, Brian. But it's an awesome quote. And I don't remember where I got it from. It says, once your identities accommodates the facts of your life, you can stop suffering. There's a gap between the world I want versus the world I got. I thought to myself, man, that's an awesome perspective. It's almost a stoic philosophy on, on, on life. Is that once your identity accommodates the, the real facts of your life, so you're not living behind some pretentious false life like many people do on social media. Mm-hmm. Once, your, once your identity accommodates the facts of your life, then you can stop suffering. I thought, wow, that's just a... You know how certain sentences hit you. You're like, wow, that's really, really impactful. There's so much I stopped my car, pulled over, and wrote it down. And now I have it on my list of my most popular quotes I like to read when I start to feel like I'm being distracted from life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's good. Wow, that's a that's a moment. That, it I, is. It is. Yeah, that's good. Um It's almost like you need to have your you need to have who you are catch up with your life. You know, yeah. I had Seth die and all of a sudden my life started going down this road and I had to let, I had to pull back who Jeff Johnston was to catch up to the grief and the suffering that right. was just like a snowball going downhill. And once my identity pulled back, boom, I wrote a book, started the nonprofit, started the podcast, all these things started going and the suffering got to be kind of compartmentalized and put in a box. And I'm like, that's an awesome concept that I think that I think more of us need to practice to allow our, allow our identities to catch up with our life. Wow. Man, that's huge because life is about that. It's about finding that sweet spot, mm-hmm. you know, that crossroads in your life when exactly that, your identity and and the pain and everything that is you, your experiences to come, the experience, everything catches up and there's that crossing point, that sweet spot that happens. And when it happens, you know it and you feel mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and there's a moment of peace and comfort and then you move forward making every effort to maintain that same feeling. Like I and know it's hard to do. It's is. hard to do. Yeah. It's impossible. I mean, I'm you're going to have temp- you're going to have temporary setbacks. I mean, yeah. you know, um when Seth died, I sat the boys down. I said, you know, death happens. Yeah. We next week we could get a call and someone close to us could die as well. Just because you have one close death doesn't mean you're done. I mean, right. You know, that that's that whole uh, aspect of suffering. Yeah. You know, and it's and it's interesting because we do we we approach life with our own plan, and this is what I want, and this is what I want to be, and my yeah every every aspect of it, you know, and and we're just human, right? And we have very finite minds, you know, and so we are creating what we want ten years from now off of the limited information we have right now today in real time at one thirty three Eastern Standard. You know, like we're just making big decisions and 10 years from now off of what we know right this second and things happen, life happens. And, uh, you know, again, in my belief system, it's like, I believe all things are created for the good of those who believe in him and are called to do his will. And I'm one of those mm-hmm. guys and I know mm-hmm. that and I embrace that. I'm not quiet about it. it is who I am. I'm okay with it. And so when things happen in life, I have a really hard time ignoring the fact that, Hey, maybe this is guiding me to a better plan. 
maybe the plan I had was not the most optimal. And this is actually keeping me from something that might have been very destructive. So, hmm, if all things are going to work, okay, maybe I should, I should check this out. I'm going to go mm-hmm. down that road and see where that goes because, yeah. um, you know, life allows U-turns. So if it doesn't yeah. work out, <laughs> put your blinker on. I was writing a blog about, um, ha- you know, habits and stuff and, and, and negative habits people have. And then negative emotions are kind of kind of the offshoot of that. Um, and I wrote a sentence one time. I'm trying to pick it in my brain now because I, I yeah. forgot it. Oh, now I remember it. It's, um, it's uh, emotions make us human, but habits make us happy. And when I got to thinking about that, I thought, you know, the all the emotions that we have, jealousy, anger, hatred, you know, whatever your emotions are that's not that's not unique to us that's part of all of i mean unique to me that's part of all of us right. um and but but the habits that we have are unique to us mm-hmm. so emotions are you know everyone has emotions we all cry laugh enjoy things but habits those positive habits quitting smoking quitting drinking reading writing healthy uh follows on social media, all the healthy habits you do, that will end up making you happy, which ultimately is where we get peace. And yeah. I've kind of met, in my life, I'm not seeking happiness. I, that ship has sailed for me. I've been happy many times. You, I think I saw a podcast you were talking about with um, Dr., uh, Dr. Mitch, is that right? Yeah. And um, you mentioned something about, you know, you've been happy, you know, drugs made you happy, alcohol made you happy, all these things made you happy. You're not, you're not looking for that anymore. And I'm like, hey, that's exactly how I feel. I, I, happiness is such a short term fleeting emotive state that I want to find peace, dude. I want to find, and I am right now in my life is all the chaos I've had. I'm probably about the strongest emotionally I've, I've ever been in my life, ever been. And it took all this you know, I, I use the analogy where I'm laying on my back looking out of the abyss and I'm literally laying on my back because there's nothing below me. I'm at yeah. the bottom of the abyss. I can't, I can't go any lower. The only next logical step is suicide. And I can yeah. thankfully say I've never, I've never had suicidal ideation. Um, I've had suicidal, I guess suicidal ideation would be any thought of suicide. So I have to say I have had that. I think all humans at one point have had that. But mm-hmm. you quickly realize that that's you know, not a good option, especially for the people that you care about. But hey, I don't know why I rambled with that, but I just, um, I don't know. I'm on, I'm on this, I'm on this massive quest of learning. I'm like this big freaking sponge. And I think one thing I write about in my book, um, is the ability to take your strongest conviction and challenge it and Mm -hmm. say, I'm, here's my strongest conviction is this. Am I willing to entertain other options? And if you say, no, I'm simply not. Well, that, I think you're done learning then. I think you've, you've really then just by definition, uh, stop learning. And so yeah. I take my strongest convictions I have in my life and I every day challenge them. I read opposite things that I don't necessarily believe in. I am I believe in one thing. I like to watch a podcast on something else. Not to get me mad, but to freaking learn. I mean, that, that's what this yeah. is about, to learn. Yeah. Um, that's really the opportunity I was given when my son died, Brian. Yeah. yeah. How can I learn from this? Not how can I get bitter and angry, how I can become an alcoholic, how I can cause my life to derail. I, I'm in no hurry to meet Seth yet. And I'm actually, you and I are, are interesting from this standpoint. We both have done a fairly good job and it's never ending of working through our grief and our mm-hmm. addictions and all this stuff. But 
you have found a, a thing that helps you, and that's faith. I, I'm agnostic. I don't believe in the afterlife. And so for me, I found ways to find liberation in living in the moment because this is my moment. And I've kind of created yeah. this heaven on earth ideology where I don't want to die to get to heaven. I, I want it right now. And so I live my life like I'm creating this heaven. So here's mm-hmm. two people that both success stories in regards to dealing with trauma and addiction and all this. And we've done it really, you've done it with some divine intervention. And I've done it with, you know, internal, you know, within intervention. Yeah. Maybe it's the same thing. I, I'm not smart enough to know Brian and I'm certainly not smart enough to claim I know. Um, and the reality is we're both doing good with the different sets of arrows in our quiver. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And it's interesting that, um, you mentioned, um, the, the conviction and, um, what'd you say in the, the quote conviction and, um, uh, we can, we can edit some of this. No, that's um, okay. What'd, what'd you say? The conviction... I can't remember what I said. Um, But no, I I think, um, yeah, it'll it'll come to me later. (laughs) Yeah, right. It was good. It was totally good. I was hanging on to it. You You and I have ADD going full bore right now. Oh, totally, man. Totally. So um, the, uh, hold on, it'll come to me. Um, You were talking about convictions. Oh, you're uh, challenging your strongest convictions. Yeah, so um, totally, I I absolutely agree with you in that um, life is about learning, and and things are ever-changing. I mean, we don't have iPhone. We have iPhone 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. You know, so things are constantly changing and always being updated and upgraded. So to stop learning is living in the past in my my eyes. And, you know, you mentioned um, happiness and peace, and this is something I've really found out, and I I just want to pay it forward because I think it's big. Every time I look back in my life, happiness always was momentary and it was largely external and connected to a thing. Hmm. Absolutely. Right? The Absolutely. peace, the peace was something that was an internal experience that to this day I can recall and tap into anytime I want. And it's all rooted, that peace was all rooted in an experience, not a thing, an experience. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's that that sunset or sunrise at the beach. It's playing with your kids in the front yard. I mean, right. you know, that it's an experience. And right. so for me, that's just really huge. I, I look to chase those experiences and I try to stay away from the, the carrot. You know, the carrot's that thing, because I know that thing is really fun and all that, but it's momentary and it's going to be happiness. I want deep, rooted, established peace. And so I try to really chase those experiences. They, they tend to, to pay off for me long term. Another question thing, I guess. Let me ask you a question and deviate a little bit from this. Um, I, you know, you and I could talk hours and hours and hours. Totally. This. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure I'm sure we will. Um, but um, what's your thoughts on legalize marijuana i think it makes sense to do i do too i do do do. too i think it makes sense um and there's a number of reasons it's it's not it's a big topic um i think there's a lot of medicinal value um in cannabis uh brain spec scans are not super friendly you know it slows Mm -hmm. uh it, it it hinders blood flow in the brain so there's some issue there um, I don't agree with use before uh, formative years, so like mid twenties. Hundred percent. I think you're kind of playing with fire, and it's and yep. it's tossing in 
tossing another wrench in the in the in the bunch, and I don't think that's a good idea. But as an adult, I, I think that um, everything in moderation. But I think there's value to it. I think it's a great opportunity for our economy. I think it's a, a great opportunity to uh, provide safer use for folks because there's a lot of people lacing. Uh, marijuana with all kinds of stuff and if you're buying from a dispensary they have regulations and regulatory requirements they have to follow in order to make sure that you're getting um, keep talking product. I'm gonna grab something real quick okay and um, so the dispensaries you know they have regulations and regulatory um, policies and stuff that they have to follow to make sure you're getting the quality of product that you pay for and so I think that that creates some safety I think that also a lot of what you buy on the street is linked to um, organized cartels, largely. Yeah. You, you trace it all the way back, and that's yeah. that starts venturing into to sex trafficking and all sort of mule uh, delivery of the drug. I mean, there's all kinds of control factors there that ruin lives, and so um, having dispensaries and stuff, there's there's a, a opportunity to bring that back to home base and cut yeah. out some of these other influences that are creating some dysfunction that we'd like to avoid. Well, I, I, I thought about that last night. I was going to ask you that question, and we, we got so much on these other things that I definitely wanted to ask you that because, you know, if you think about my bias would obviously be, you know, I'm a father of a deceased child to drug addiction, basically, and, and, and well, alcohol too. But, yeah. you know, I mean, heroin didn't, didn't kill. I mean, it, it ended his life, but there was a lead up to heroin. There was other things that started. That was That was the end, but... Um, before that, it was you know smoking pot in high school, and then it went to alcohol and stuff. So you would think I would just be okay. I'm angry, Dad. Drugs are all bad, but you know the war on drugs has been a colossal, colossal failure. It's yeah. discriminatory. It's expensive. It's not working. There's more people addicted to these things than there's ever been. And you know, I, I just I, I tell my boys, my other two boys, Roman and Ian, um, I say, you know, boys, just because something's legal doesn't mean you have to do it. You know, just because alcohol is legal at 21 doesn't mean you have to go out. I've never smoked pot. Um, I was an alcoholic, but I never got into drugs. And, and I, obvious reasons. I, if I would have done cocaine, I would have been, been Len Bias. I would have been dead immediately because I would have done yeah. all of it. That's, yeah. how, that's how my personality is. I, I, that's how I gambled. I, go, I walk into the casino. I wanted to win all the money. I didn't, I didn't right. want to just double my money. I wanted to, I wanted to break the casino oh, no. that night. Yeah, so right. if you gave me a five lines of coke, I, I would do them all immediately. That's how I'm wired. So I knew right. I could never do drugs. I, I would be dead instantaneously. However, um, you know, going back to legalizing marijuana, I think it just comes down to educating your children, educating uh, the age of first use is 14 in the United States, get, getting to them and sooner. Hey, just because something's free or something, just because something's legal or free, yeah. it doesn't mean you have to do it. it. It doesn't mean you have to go out and do it. If cocaine became legal or heroin, doesn't mean right. you have to do it. So right. I think I think there's a there's a reframing of the uh, kind of how we look at this, and not we as in you and I, the older people, but the younger yeah. people. I think there's this giddiness, there's this romance about smoking pot. And you know, when I speak to elementary schools or you know high schools, I you know I, I try to show them a different angle of this that that it may be romantic for a while, but. There is no positive outcome in most of these things. Most of these doors you open, life is like these 50 doors in front of you. You know, Brian? Yeah. And you crack open a door, and you don't die, you live. Well, you quit doing something, you crack <laughs> open something else. It's like, you know, I, I look back on my days in drinking and how many times I, and I hate to even admit this, but it's my podcast, so I don't care. Um, how many times I drove, in, I drove drunk. And it's just, right. uh, 
horribly embarrassing thing. But any alcoholic that sits here and says, well, I never drove drunk is a freaking liar. You know, they're, they're, yeah. they're, a, they're, a, they're, a, they're a liar. And I did, and I, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't kill myself. And I got lucky because yeah. right now at this moment, there's somebody driving around that's probably going to take somebody's life driving drunk, and it's terrible. Yeah. But anyway, I don't know where I got off with that. But I, I am for legalized marijuana. I don't know enough about it. I have no idea. I'm not, I'm not heavy in that industry. But I do think that, that legalizing it, to me, would make some of the other... Uh, collateral damage issues that have occurred, yeah. you know, incarceration. Yeah. Some of these people are getting sentences just ridiculously, and it's you know, yeah. African Americans are way over incarcerated with with you know a bag of pot for you know ten yeah. years of your life for a bag of pot. I mean, seriously. Yeah, I yeah, mean, I agree. I agree. These things just have to be relooked at, don't you think? Yeah, I totally agree. I think it creates um, doing legalizing it will create some balance in the other areas, and a lot of mm-hmm. this romanticizing. Um, using pot, uh, smoking weed, however you want to put it, is is something that's fresh because it's being legalized. I think once the, us as a nation settle in as this being the new norm, you'll see less and less uh, of that, those types of um, views maybe. Um, right. I think that, you know, in England, or not necessarily in England, but in Europe, uh, you know, they, they have a different view of, of alcohol. So right. at a much younger age, you're you're drinking and it's no big deal. And so, um, and a lot of those folks grow up and they're not alcoholics because right. it was not something that was, uh, you know, prohibited and, and, and closed off and you, you had to do it in secret and there was no chase to it. It was just kind of, um, it was, it was a norm. And so it wasn't looked at as over the top. And, and so folks didn't pursue that to the extreme and create problems for themselves. And, um, I think that with, uh, legalizing, I lost my thought. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you're talking about, to me, I think of the binge drinking in the United States and, and the college campuses and stuff and, um, you know, how, how we tend to think that, I don't know, the, the way that, I'm not saying that the way the Europeans are indoctrinating their youth to consuming alcohol is what I'm encouraging. I encourage no drinking, period, but that's right. naive. That's, that's a yeah, dad it's, and me it's, coming out. Yeah, it's totally, um, thank, you, thank God for edits. All right, here we go again. <laughs> it's totally, it's totally. I think more about candy bars are, are legal, but I don't go in and buy a box at a time. <laughs> exactly. Right. So exactly, it's it, it's yeah. it's a matter of just managing another influence in your life and and yeah. recognizing: Do I have an addiction to food, or do I have an addiction to this, or is that a problem? Where where is the the balance? But I I think one one of the largest um, reasons for our failure with the 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 war on drugs is simply because we're addressing the band-aid you know addiction is the band-aid we really mm-hmm. need to look at the wounds so if we're mm-hmm. constantly changing the band-aid oh we're going to try galls now let's put some tape over it no let's put that uh band-aid on it's already got the the medicine on it let's use that one but so we're constantly changing the band-aid but the wound is always there and getting down to more of that emotional side the root of of what you were talking about with seth i mean that's really the stuff that's going to make difference and a difference in people's lives, and I think that that should be the focus rather than um, the addiction. I think that you know more so than a person being an addict or an alcoholic or a, however you want to term it. I think it should be not a sign of what they're. That, that's a that's a um, that's a description of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. We should be looking at this is a wounded individual. We need to get to the bottom of that wound, and that Even should be the, the word- motivation. Even the word addiction is just horribly misrepresented in, in, in society because the definition is just continued use of something um, despite adverse consequences. And that's, that's, and that's not accurate. Um, 
Uh, eating healthy is an addiction. Well, that's not, yeah. an, you know, that's, I, I just think the word addiction itself needs to be presented as there are good and there are bad addictions and not just addictions are, you know, a negative connotation of the word addiction. You know, telling the truth is a positive addiction. Eating healthy, positive addiction. Um, yeah. You know, relationships, positive addiction. What you watch on TV is a positive addiction. If you're watching mm. just all Fox News all day long and vile and angry rhetoric on both sides of the fence, that, that, that's a negative addiction. So yeah. I, I, I'm addicted. I, I love that. I love being an addict. And, but I'm an addict towards the good things. Yeah, I think that for me, addiction, you got me thinking a bit about the definition. And to me, it's more addiction is avoidance of what you fear addressing the most. Mm -hmm. To me, that's what addiction is. Like it's actively making an effort every day to avoid what really needs to be addressed. And what's really interesting is how do we do that then, Brian? Because really what you've just basically said is we have a fear of living. We have yeah. a fear of commitment. We have a fear of confrontation. We have a fear of, of learning. We have a fear of challenging belief, our belief structure. We have a fear of loneliness. We have a fear of happiness. We have a fear of, you know, uh, patience. We have a fear of everything. And yeah. so by definition, we're human. We are addicts. We, I mean, that's what we are. We're, 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 we're creatures of habit and habits become addictions. And the key is making sure that they're positive. That's what I'm trying yeah. to get I'm trying to get kids to embrace this, you know, like ADD is another stupid freaking label I wish they would just destroy because <laughs> ADD has been my superpower, man. And I'm sure it's been yours too. And I, I love my ADD. I, I don't know what I would do without it. I, I would be a miserable, lonely, depressed person if I didn't have ADD. <laughs> I, love I don't it. have time to sit around and analyze shit all day. I just, I'm just kind of a doer, you know, I'm, and I'm not, it's, I'm not being narcissistic here. It's, it's just, yeah. it's a curse and a blessing because I tend to forget things and I got, you know, I got laying things around here. I'm jumping around, but that's, right. that's what I think is making me deal with something as traumatic as burying a child is my yeah. ADD has really been a, a great thing for me. Yeah. It's interesting when I, when I treat kids, you know, I always tell the families, you know, when they're a kid, it's, it's ADD and it's, it's a problem. We got to medicate this as an adult. It's multitasking. Yeah, <laughs> you know when exactly. they're when they're when they're young, it's, it's a like, strength when you're an adult, yeah. right? You know, and when they're oh, young, it's it. like, oh, he's so non-compliant and he's so stubborn. Right? No, he's loyal to self. That's what that is. And right. when you get to be an uh, an adult, that same behavior is very loyal behavior. So depending on what side of the fence you're on, it's a strength. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's so that's so interesting. And again, it just goes back to your your frame how you frame things in your life and i i love that yeah. word framing um you know i just get a, a quick a quick quick story um about framing and this is going to be on a, a podcast before yours so this okay. will already be this will already be out there but i did a podcast taping a few weeks a few days ago with my son roman uh he's 17 years old and he's a feature in my book and he's been on my scuba diving trips and him and i are super super close just like my other yeah. son he came out to me a couple months ago that he was gay. And, you know, as a heterosexual uh, individual, um, I don't think we have any of that in any family history of mine. I embraced it as another opportunity, like death presented itself on a platter to me to learn. Now I took this as an opportunity to learn. So inst yeah. instantly I said, well, I am fortunately for Roman, I'm an open-minded person. And for this stuff, I just embraced it as a learning opportunity. So for me, now I'm, I'm not like a, an advocate on this stuff. I'm learning. I want to understand 
how I can be the best dad that I can. And sure. I'm grateful. I'm grateful Roman could come to me and tell me this knowing that I wouldn't judge him. I wouldn't say it's a phase. I wouldn't say don't label Huge. yourself. I, I would I would embrace him. The first thing I told him was I, lo- I love you. I love you. And mm-hmm. this is coming from the, the lens of I can't say that to Seth anymore. Yeah. And I would take anything to have Seth back. So to, to have a, a homosexual child pales in a comparison with a deceased one. So yeah. from, from my lens, this is, a, this is a non-event. But I know for some parents it would be, oh my Lord, it goes against my religion, it goes against my, what are my coworkers gonna think? What are my social media followers gonna think? Screw them, yeah. I'm dad, my yeah. obligation is my son. And so I wanted to throw that out as kind of the, a, a thing to me that just is another layer of this learning process as a, as a 54 year old, is that now I've got that opportunity to learn. So it never ends, learning never yeah. ends, you know? Yeah, it's a and it's amazing. You 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 said it. Um, I know you didn't mean it this way because I know you, but yeah, it's like you said it almost in a way that like you know, well, it could be death or my son's gay. Oh well, exactly. You know. I couldn't say that, but and that's what so I was thinking. Crazy. It's yeah. so crazy how we frame right. it that way, as you put it, because you're I'm exactly seeing right. your son having the courage to come to you. First of all, that's courageous. Second of all, having a safe place to do that, well done, right. Dad. Right. And third of all, he is an individual that's that's sensing something going on inside that's not mm-hmm. settled, and he's addressing it. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the perfect human? Like, isn't mm-hmm. that what we want? Like, wow, you're sensing something, and you're you're seeking out one of your most trusted allies, one of your most trusted resources to sort through what exactly is this. Let's figure this out to de- to de- together. I feel safe doing that with you, Dad. You know, Brian, I think of that's awesome. I think of I think of this quite frequently, the worst possible outcome game I play with myself. And so Seth came out or Seth, I'm sorry, I still got Seth in my head there. Um, (laughs) Roman came out to me as gay. So I'm thinking worst possible outcome. My son is gay or I come home from work and he's hanging in a closet with suicide because he couldn't tell me that he was gay. Easy decision for me. Easy decision for me. Worst possible outcome is suicide. And suicide rates are through the roof. And homosexual children, gay or um, male or um, female, uh, four times more likely adolescents are to commit suicide. Four times more likely to commit suicide. And why is that? Because they can't tell somebody what their heart is telling them. You know, and I'm like, how ridiculous is that? How our society, it's like parents need to just... Put aside whatever convictions they have, whatever you want your children to be, like you. They aren't you. They aren't you. They may have your DNA, but they are not you. They are different, and they are forging their own path. And and as a good parent, I don't have to agree, and I don't even really have to understand, but I have to support. And that is the mistake I made in dealing with Seth's addiction, especially towards the end. When I um, fair, I look back on some things, and I probably was a little too judgmental, and um, I probably didn't uh, ask the right questions. And um, I'm learning. I'm, I'm not paying a price. I'm just learning from that. And so I would throw that out there for any any parents out there that, and it's not just homosexuality. It's it's drug use. Hey mom, yeah. I, I hey mom, I smoke pot. Give me your phone. You're grounded. Like, come on, come on. This yeah. is why kids don't tell us shit. Is because right. you're going to do something impulsive, like penalize them. No. How about this? Well, what made you think that was a good decision? Yeah. Bingo. Did you, re- did, you regret, do, did you regret that decision? Yeah. What did you learn from it? You know, that's how parents need to be dealing with these things, not grounding them and taking things away from them. And I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't know. No, I think you're onto something, man, and that, that's what I preach as well um, with with my kids. My wife and I are on the same page with this as as well. If we have, um, well, my oldest daughter is really more of the liar at this point. You know, she's kind of dabbling with manipulation a little bit at eleven. So, um, yeah, but if she comes, to, you know, it's normal normal development. It's okay. It's, it's she's being human, and that's fine. Um, yeah. But you know, if you have, her, if she comes to us and, and shares the truth with us. Um, I always, we are always very careful to protect, uh, and respect the fact that she did that yeah. um, rather than jump immediately on that behavior of lying and punish that because, okay, fine. You, you, you punish that in the moment in real time. However, it, that opportunity is not going to present again because I can guarantee you <laughs> she's just shut you down. Right. You're done. You're out of the inner yep. circle at this point because she came to you vulnerably with something very, very serious, very, very personal. And you squashed it. So now you've lost that privilege. So now you're the next conversation you're going to have is the fact that she lied and didn't tell you. And you know what? You created that. So protecting that honesty, I think, is so important with our kids. So important. It's it's, I have to laugh because it's, it's so funny because the way you said that is just absolutely how I think as well. Yeah. And it's, it's not like, you know, you got, as a, as a parent, you got one chance to do this right. You know, you got one chance for this opportunity. I frame it as I got one chance to F this up. I got one chance to screw this up. Roman's never going to come to me ever again with the one opportunity for me to F this up. Yeah. And, and so I'm presented those opportunities to F something up every day. You know, and um, I, I'm learning from that. And uh, it's not like, you know, I, I got I got one chance to say the perfect Dr. Phil to Roman. You know, what's the perfect thing to say? Now, yeah. I'm more focused on how am I going to screw How What's the one thing I want to do not to screw this up? And that's how I came up with the two roads idea when Seth died. And it's a chapter in my book. Yeah. And it's the idea that, hey, boys, we're confronted with two roads now. Your brother's dead. He's not coming back. One road of anger, despair, and hatred. We become an alcoholic. The second road is inspiration and motivation. We can change lives and our own. I'm on the right. second road. Please join me. And, and that's kind of how uh, I have framed the rest of my life. And that's how I'm going to live yeah. every decision I have. And I think you're the same way. And looking at your background with your swimming and your early addictions and all the things you went through, um, I think you're kind of a two roads guy as well. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. It's like when, when Roman came to you and shared what he did, that, that's not an instance in time. That's not a moment to where a decision needs to be made. That conversation was, hey, Dad, I found something new about me. Um, I'd like for you to, enjoy, um, you, you to join me in this journey. You've just been Great. invited Great. onto a journey. That is a very sensitive, very personal, very vulnerable. That is an honor. He should be taken out to lunch. Like, wow, you're coming to me to invite me on your journey. I am so grateful and so honored that you would trust me with what you've trusted me with. And you better bet, buddy, we're going to do this together. We're going to journey through this together. And I am a sounding board. I'm a shoulder, whatever you need. Let's figure this out together. I'm on your side. I'm on your team. I got you. What a great way to end the show, man. I, I tell you, I've never had anyone ever say anything so eloquent the way you just framed frame that because... We live in our own bubble, you know. We're so we're so diluted with self, you know. We're so into everything that we do. We're inviting people into our our stories. And you're right, Brian. Brian uh, Roman came to me and gave me an opportunity to join his story and to be a part wow. of it. And That's I'm huge. like, yeah, I'm like, I gotta write a blog on that, Brian. <laughs> 
that, that literally it's, it's it's beautiful it's it's poetic it's 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 just it's beautiful it's um how, i don't know i'm, I'm just uh I'm a little in awe right now of how you presented that. I, I really, Man, really, a, really like that. You know, we, we do what we do as parents, raising our kids. They get to a point in life when they make their own decisions. That's called adulthood, right? Mm-hmm. And when, when they're in adulthood, if they invite us, raising the kids, that's regular season, right? You have some playoffs right. in there too. Right. Ultimately, though, when they're an adult and they invite you, as Roman has, onto this particular journey... That's a Hall of Fame induction. You've just hmm. been given a ring and asked to join the Hall of Fame ceremonies. That's what that is. You've been you've been memorialized <laughs> in a way. Hmm. Like that's how I see that. Like what an honor for him to be in that moment of and we know what the world's view is of all this stuff and he very easily mm-hmm. could could isolate and and turn mm-hmm. inward and but he didn't. He went to his most trusted ally and said, Dad, I need, I need your guidance here. Like, I, I don't know what to do with this. This is where it's at. I, I want you to join me here. And that is such, such a major honor. Like, wow. Good for you, Dad. Well done, man. Well done. I, I don't want to talk anymore. That's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I'm so Speechless, proud of you, man. man. That's really awesome. Oh, and uh, let me do this. Let's end the show this way, Brian. Um, yeah. I know your why. I, I known you for a short while. I, I know your why. I want to know more about your how. How how do you propose to keep doing what you're doing, um, in the in the manner that you want to do it? And and where do you see yourself in five years? Let's say ten years, twenty years. Yeah. My how is to make decisions off the information I have, and largely that's today. So I worry about today. You know, it's an AA, this and that, whatever. It just makes sense to me. Tag whatever you want to it. But it makes sense to operate on the known the best you can. I mean, that's the stuff you can sink your your teeth into. You can put hands on. And so to to make decisions off of that, to me, for me, makes good sense. So that's what I do. Every day I operate off of what I have. And I plan the best I can for tomorrow's reality by the decisions I make today. That makes sense to me. Um, And I believe that... If I do that on a daily basis, my 5, 10, 20 year plan will come to pass inevitably without me having to worry about the details. Um, yeah, I have no doubt. themselves along the journey. I have you know? no doubt. I have no doubt <laughs> that whatever <laughs> goals you have will come to fruition. I will say that all the people I follow on LinkedIn, Brian, you have the most positive content. Um, some people, uh, I understand their passion, but, but they... They tend to get a little angrier, um, mm-hmm. and uh, that's fine. I understand it. Uh, people sure. can, uh, but you've 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 never posted anything that I took anything where you were angry about something, um, whether it was an internal fight you're having or somebody made a post that offended you. But I, I love sharing what you what you post. I think anybody that that wants to know more about Brian Wall, go to LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn right now is the best platform for 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 Jeff Johnston to to live. Um, well. I'm new on some of the other ones. Twitter, I'm kind of getting a little bit disillusioned with. Uh, Clubhouse is kind of the new one that I'm being like lured into that I'm like, you know, <laughs> recruited. <laughs> I'm terrified. Yeah, because I'm going to spend all day in there because it seems it seems like a like a drug. It's just so alluring to go to Clubhouse. But that's probably where I'm going to be later with you some night talking till four in the morning. But 
Right. But no, I, I love your stuff. Keep doing what you're doing, man. You're you're a rock star. I um Thanks, I, I derive inspiration from you. Um, I'm I'm very excited about hearing more about your story and maybe more of the ways that you want to continue with with your why and your how. So where are the best places people can reach you? I mentioned LinkedIn. Where else? Um, that's really it. I spend a primary a, a large part of my time on primarily on LinkedIn. I have a, a Instagram account, but I don't. I don't do a whole lot. It's more of a, a weekend hobby sort of thing, um, and but LinkedIn largely. So I have my weekly uh, trilogy series, uh, hashtag Be Real with Brian and Real Talk with Brian. Uh, hashtag Be Real with Brian is where I do all my posts for um, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I do a trilogy. Monday is Mental Health Monday. Wednesday is Wellness Wednesday, and then Friday is Phoenix Friday for addiction. And so I just just try my best to pay forward some wisdom gained in hopes that it's helpful for someone and. Uh, you know, just trying to, to model what it looks like to be a, a good, solid support for other people. And um, that's it. I try to keep it simple, man. You know? Well, we all need support. You know, I'm always, I use the analogy with my boys about finding arrows for my quiver. It's like, you know, you're, you're an arrow now. It's like, you know, Nancy you Barrows. Nancy Barrows is an arrow, you know? She's uh, awesome. All these people I'm meeting are arrows. And it's like each one of you has a, a unique, different story that I can I can use from Nancy's story is just you know, unbelievable what she's doing, and yeah, she's amazing, um, man. It is, it wow. is, and and you introduced me to her like within two days of meeting you, and I had her on a guest before I, I had you on as a guest, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> but that's the velocity of 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 um of how this is is happening. It's COVID's been a blessing. I, I feel terrible yeah. for the people that have had bad experience. I had COVID myself; nothing happened, but it's like. COVID for Jeff Johnston's bubble has been a good thing in my life. Um, yeah, I, yeah. Now, I know people have had lost loved ones and so forth, and it's extremely tragic and unfortunate. But COVID allowed me a lot more focus on my on my projects that I'm doing. It allowed me to meet you. I never would have met you had it not been COVID. There's totally no way. Totally agree, man. There's no way. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's been such a blessing for us as well. Thankfully, I was I stayed employed throughout and right. been blessed with this new opportunity in Florida and a chance to really launch uh, my passions on, on LinkedIn through hashtag Be Real with Brian. And so, yeah, for me, I see it the same way, just trying to be a support to those that maybe haven't been as, as fortunate through this time. But um, ultimately, I, I feel like it's been really good for our field, my, my field too, just bringing awareness to mental health and addiction and in the midst of uh, the pandemic. So... Yeah, I think there's good and bad to everything. And for me, largely good when it comes to the pandemic. Well, keep doing what you're doing, brother. Um, I do want to remind everybody that uh, this will be posted on the www.livingundeterred website. I post a weekly blog that is a lot of what is in here I write out. And then the podcasts are more of me letting to get in, in conversations with people. So also I'm reminded to subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'm reading off a cheat sheet, Brian, because this is right. not my strength. <laughs> selling totally my selling my likes and all this <laughs> isn't my strength. I'm a content creator. That's all I do. I get it. I get it. <laughs> but yeah, I want you to subscribe to our YouTube channel and rate us five stars on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. That's my sales pitch. There it um, is. Sold. All right, brother. Well, have a great one. Uh, keep living undeterred. And uh, thank you for being a guest on the show today. You bet, man. Thanks so much for having me. I look forward to growing with you, brother. You bet. You bet.